Hello and welcome back to Booze, Booms and Busts, the podcast where we quaff a few beers while discussing market events and all manner of other tomfoolery. Now, uh, this show has been uh, delayed a little bit. Uh, I apologize to everybody. We have had uh, some scheduling issues. Everyone's very busy at the minute, so it has been tricky. But this is our latest episode. And indeed, uh, this this is going to be quite an interesting booze, booms and busts because uh, uh, this is being recorded at Shrove Tuesday. And Lent begins tomorrow, and I'm going to be giving up booze for Lent, which is going to be very tricky. <laughs> uh, and of course, it's going to be a very interesting booze, booze, and bust, because of course, you know, we now have conventional war raging in Europe, uh, which is a very grave situation. Hopefully, uh, you know, no, none of our uh, none of our listeners are are being affected by the events. I hope, I hope everyone is all all safe out there, not getting blown up or uh, attacked with rockets or anything like that. But very grave events indeed. So uh, we should, um, you know, while we've got this this moment of peace in uh, over here in the West, uh, we should enjoy it as best we can. As I've no doubt that we're going to see all manner of chaos onto into as a result of this event. But anyway, Sam, how are you getting on? What are you drinking this evening? Uh, I'm getting on well tonight. Uh, thanks. I've been covering the major <clears throat> major news stories of the day, as I'm sure everyone is. Two that have, that have really sort of caught my attention this evening were uh, woman with the largest eyebrows in the United Kingdom takes on trolls who threaten to report her to social services and the girl who has made over two million pounds pretending to be a giant on OnlyFans. Um, you know, the, the heavy hitting stuff has really caught my eye. Um, yeah, I'm glad to see that you've been focusing on such, you know, such important events. I mean, this could really <laughs> shape the investment markets of the future. I mean, if, if, if there is a woman out there with eyebrows as large as the, the article purports that she has, I, it, it, it leads me to, 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 be, to be long on, on eyebrow manicuring companies. Is that the right word? I have no idea. I mean, combs, eyebrow maintenance tools, pretty bushy, eye, eye, huh? Eyebrow makeup style things. There's there's a lot of advantages to having massive fucking eyebrows. What's it called? Um, is it topiary with hedges? You know, you know hedge cutting, <laughs> hedge trimming. <laughs> That's fucking. Well, what's the the, the Japanese um, tree thing? Oh, bonsai. Bonsai. <laughs> Some sort of. <laughs> hybrid between topiary and bonsai for the eyebrows uh once again folks another very market focused episode of booze booms and busts we're going really hard into uh into the trends affecting asset uh, prices gonna lighten the mood at some point but we, we will do there's some there are some there's a, there's a lot of things that i want to unpack with you um about what's going on at the moment but i thought i'd kick it off with something a little a little lighter hearted yeah, big time, big time. I have uh, for this. Uh, yeah, we shall be doing further episodes of booze, booms, and busts, even while I'm not drinking during the Lent period. So have no fear, folks. We shall be uh, providing further tomfoolery uh, as over the next six weeks. Uh, for anyone else who is, uh, you know, giving something up over Lent, I hope. Uh, yeah, I hope you you fare well over it. Happy Shrove Tuesday to everybody out there. Uh, but it does feel like quite. Um, you know, it's not yet kind of kicked in. Just uh, how, how big this will be a deal to me. I don't know if it will or not, but it's been many, many years since I've gone a week without having any booze. So six weeks is probably going to be, I'll probably feel like a completely different person by the end of it. Yeah, I'm, I'm afraid of that. I'm, I'm, <laughs> I'm afraid that at the end of it, you'll be like, I feel so healthy and alive. It's like one of the best decisions I've ever made. It's kind of like this, 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 could, this could come back to bite, bite us. It, it, we, we, we might have to change the name to like, um health wealth and <laughs> um health wealth and climate change advocacy yeah health wealth and um yeah health wealth and uh the gluten-free diet or something <laughs> yeah it will be it will be tricky i think um i think bitcoin, it'll be really beef and keto yeah, I mean, that's a lot of the Bitcoin sphere, isn't it? Uh, it's all about people who love Bitcoin, Bitcoin maximalists and eating no carbs and like really like black and blue steak, like as as rare as it gets, bone broth, lots of bone marrow, uh, no grains, grains are illegal. Uh, all, you know, all just uh, fits in together, you know? Yeah, yeah. 
but maybe maybe that'll they, be me in six weeks. I mean, well, yeah. that's right. You, yeah, you never know. Just so long as so long as that, yeah. So long as it doesn't. So long as what this does doesn't change your life in a, in a positive way. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, uh, you know, this. I think this comes back to our very first episode of Booze, Booms, and Bust, Sam, where you told me. I think it was the first. It was the first or the second where you told me about the pot to fitness ratio over <laughs> yeah. in Australia. You've got a where, great. Memory. Yeah, yeah. I, mean, I know what you're talking about, but I can't ever remember what episode it was on. <laughs> I think it, I think it was one of our. I think it was the first one. Anyway, it, for uh, for people who are uh, listening more recently, pot being the uh, Australian phrase for, I believe, a can of beer, and a, a small the, glass. It's it's a, a pot is about the equivalent of a of a half pint. Right, and the number of pots that one man can consume before collapsing, uh, relative to how fit he is. So the more more booze you can drink. Uh, the less fit you are, the more fit you are, the less booze you can drink. So I it's feel at the end of the six weeks, <laughs> <laughs> I think, no, I think it's totally correct. The health, well, the healthier you are, the faster you get drunk. Um, and I think in six weeks time, I mean, you know, I yeah. could be. So, could so be this content. is what, so this is what will happen. So when you, when you take the pot to fitness ratio and you chart your progression of improvement in health, probably improvement in fitness, your ability to consume pots will, will will radically decline. Well, actually, it will be it will perfectly decline in ratio decline. with your increase in fitness. So, if by the end of it, you know, you're like ultra marathon style fitness, um, you know, like the smell of a pot will do you in, and you'd be over. Yeah, the yeah, yeah. So, Collapse. You know, it's it's you know, it's you got, it's a it's a trade off. You know, it's opportunity cost. Yeah, nobody wants to talk about it, but ultra marathon runners can't run down a street that's got pubs in it. Otherwise, they collapse. That's right. That's just the way it is. That's life. That's that's as that's as part of everyday life as women with large eyebrows and girls making money on OnlyFans <laughs> pretending to be giants. That's just yeah, live in man. It's uh yeah, me living this interesting times. The fake Chinese quote that everyone likes quoting. Um, uh, fake Chinese a, quote. Yeah, 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 yeah. Even JFK quoted it as a as an ancient <laughs> Chinese proverb. You know, may you live in it, may you live in interesting times, being an ancient Chinese curse. It's complete bullshit. You know, it, it has no reference anywhere. But people love to say it, and it is. It does sound. You do sound very wise when you say that. But uh, it's complete bullshit. Um, you think? What are the, some of the other great misquotes? All time. Huh. There's a very good one. Um, the the average person eats 10 spiders a year or something in their sleep and it's complete oh, bullshit right. yeah, yeah. yeah like that's ridiculous yeah but everyone believes it and um there's a good video on youtube there's a the channel let me know uh which uh which did a full deep dive investigation into it and it's one of these things where the reference for that just keeps going back and back and back so you whenever someone has used that in an article they've referenced something, another article, which then references another article. And if you go to the very end, it's uh, to the end of that chain, it goes back to like um, uh, a computer enthusiast magazine in the 80s where, and an article in it. And the article doesn't exist, but the name of the person who wrote it is an anagram for, it's like a joke. Uh, like the name of the person is, you know, like you got trolled effectively. Uh, but it, this has been going on for decades. I mean, the person that did this is very... That sounds like, um, do you remember that episode where we talked about the like real life, uh, it was like the real life games that like people, what is it? Ah, there's, there's like, oh a, yeah. Yo, uh, you've got a good memory now, Sam. I, I've <laughs> forgotten that episode. Yeah. What were we talking about with that one? I, I can't remember. I think we we're talking about, we must be talking about something like VR or augmented reality or something or some sort of gaming angle. And, and then there were, you tell me about, the sort of the world of where people like have these elaborate real world games. Was there a name for it? I can't remember. Yes. Yes. Yeah. The one where like people <laughs> claim territory and shit. Yeah. In it's, real life. In real life. Yeah. It's kind oh, of like man. role play, real action, live role play. Thing, live action, right? role play, LARPing. Yeah. But, but like, but like you go, or maybe I was telling you about it. I can't remember. But there are like some like throughout history, there are some of these, like Microsoft did a did a game launch where they had a you know they set up all these real elaborate websites and stuff, 
um, you're basically establishing all this, you know, canon for, for some of these games as though it was real, you know, it, it, all this stuff existed in real life, but, but none of it actually did. And it, it was all sort of, it's all sort of one just big, big game really, but people are led to believe that it's sort of reality. I remember, I think the launch of Fable 3, they put out like a, it was when there were iPod touches and shit. Yeah. And Pete on the iPhone was a new thing, but they tried to do a thing where you could like claim territory in your local area. And, uh, you, you know, you, it would effectively, you'd be seizing other people's territory by going and taking wherever they'd put their flag in, in a public place. But yeah, I think Fable 3 bombed, and I imagine that uh, that that app will have bombed as well. Is that, um, is that pretty pretty handy little segue there about claiming real-world territory that could just take us, take us into the hot topics of the day. <laughs> indeed. Do you think there's any, do you think many of the, uh, the you know, the volunteer you know how they've set up this the ukrainians have set up this volunteer brigade for foreigners like the like their french foreign legion the ukrainian foreign legion oh really i did yeah they have do you think there's going to be many of them who are like avid pokemon go players who are like you know trying to get pokemon in the middle of a of a you know theater of conflict do you know it's it's weird i like there will be they'll get they'll they'll absolutely get people that will go over there i mean i it's a tricky one right why would why would you actively i think it's tragic why would you actively want to want to volunteer to go to war f- for anyone? Well, for Ukraine especially, I think um, a, a lot of people just want to be a hero, man. There's a there's a word for it. Uh, someone came up with a word for it. I forget what it is, but it's the the feeling of uh, of men throughout all of their life uh, who feel like um, who feel bad that they never saw military service, never saw military combat. I can't remember the word for it. But it, it affects an awful lot of guys feel, you know, I'm, I'm not a man because I've not fought. And I've not fought for my country. And when you think of like the millennial experience as they've had it thus far, a lot of, especially when you've been locked up in a, in a lockdown for the last couple of years, yeah. you probably feel, especially if you've got a desk, a desk job or if you've got something that's not very active and you're just sitting down your ass all day, you know, you probably fantasize about, you know, going to war, you know, for, you know take great tales of, valor and bravery and uh, a lot of guys doing it yeah so i someone sent me the reddit forum for this and it's just oh, tragic wow. man you've got people like saying oh do you think do you think the uh, the ukrainians are let volunteer pilots fly the jets that the eu is giving them and the, you know just spoilers the eu isn't actually giving ukraine any jets but there are people who are like yo i want to you know, they've just bought into all this. Yo, all this yo, I've, I've done some, I've done some local, you know, training on the Cessna down at my local airport. Do you reckon I can jump into a MIG and fly that? Yeah. Do you reckon they'd let me? Yeah. Do you reckon man, you'd be able I, to get the fucking thing off the ground? <laughs> like, man, it's, um, it's pretty, I think it's actually very depressing. Uh, there are also the tales of um, the Ukrainian government are, uh, are going for, I understand they are opening prisons and they're taking violent offenders and they're giving them guns for uh to, to yeah, serve yeah. you know just so like, like the nazis like, did i when mean they were, when just... they were giving out guns like haven't they given out like a bunch of guns to ukrainian civilians to like defend yeah on the street themselves yeah okay so everyone knows that's got to be one of the most stupid ideas in history because the minute you give guns to a, a mass population the people that want to use those guns not to fight the war are going to take those guns and take them off people that don't really know how to use those guns and then they're going to do bad things I, there were there were people saying the but it was completely you know unconfirmed. It's just bullshit on the internet. There were people saying that there were some guys who just taken the guns and immediately tried to rob a load of stores. They probably uh, which, did. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's um, and it's remarkable how you see all of the people like this conflict has just flipped or just no. It's not this conflict. It's not the conflict. It's the internet's idea of this conflict has just yeah. flipped, and it just and it flipped everyone's. Uh, everyone's values all of a sudden. So all these guys who've been really pro-gun control, uh, who are you know in the U.S., they're always saying you know we need to restrict the sale of except firearm. You know yeah. these assault weapons that are being uh, you know causing mass shootings in America. We need to crack down on that. You know they'll just turn turn around immediately and say, oh dude, look how look how incredible look, you know cheering this on when the Ukrainians just going around with a box of AK-47s or AK-74s and just handing them out to, to randomers, to any man who wants them. You've got people who are, you know, who are completely, uh, you know, very, very progressive and very feminist and whatever, and, you know, still cheering on when the women are being evacuated along with the children so the men can go over and fight. 
Uh, you've got folks who are uh, really, really, really pro Black Lives Matter. And, uh, you know, that was all they were tweeting about. And they made it part of their identity that they were campaigning for Black Lives Matter. Uh, and now cheering on the Ukrainian military, which now contains a literal neo-Nazi battalion, right? It's called uh, the Azov Battalion, right? Has, uh, they wear SS insignia. They supposedly have a portrait of Hitler in the barracks. They are completely, they completely fine posing with uh, swastika flags, all of that. You know, everyone, everyone all, all of the, <laughs> the Twitter sphere as a whole is just cheering on the Ukrainian military. Now, of course, there's one battalion in the Ukrainian military. But the fact that in 2014, what was a neo-Nazi militia was formally integrated into the Ukrainian military, I think tells you an awful lot about how people don't know who it is that they're actually supporting when it comes to the Ukrainian government. The idea of that happening here or anywhere else in like, you know, the Western world as we think of it is, well, I, is ridiculous. I can't, under, I can't understand why, I mean, what do you think the reason is that this is so, this is so emotive for kind of Western civilization? <laughs> I say Western, uh, but I, I think mean, realistically mean, you know, the, the major economies of the world, you know, big, the big chunk of the EU, America, sort of Australia or the UK. Um, what is it that makes this so emotive? Why don't why why wasn't there this kind of, you know, I guess furor over over things when um, you know, the US were dropping bombs on Iraq? Um, it, I think it, it feels it, somewhat hypocritical. I think it's a very simple, uh though it's a very cynical uh explanation, and that is simply that uh, people are very easily influenced by the media, and the media took a completely different tone with uh, Iraq, Afghanistan, and I think an even more extreme example is Yemen, uh, where yeah. you know we've got uh, where where you've got all manner of uh, humanitarian crises created by it. You've got uh, really bad uses of of, of arms, of, of weapons in war. And, you know, no one, none of these people saying, oh, you know, they're putting the Ukrainian flag in their Twitter header and they're, uh, you know, viva Ukraine. And they're, you know, they're making sure that they're spelling Kiev, K-Y-I-V, just to be really conscientious. And ooh, virtue ooh, on that one, I saw a news report and they were like, they were making a point not to say Kiev, but they were saying Kiev. Kiev, Kiev, Kiev. No, I, that's right. It sounded like they were saying Kiev. They go Kiev. I was like, what? Oh man, See, it's just, I think people are just really easy to manipulate, and uh, ultimately, the government wants everyone to be manipulated in this way because there are national security. There, the national security game uh, has been taking place for a long time in Ukraine. So you know, the the Azov Battalion uh, was. Uh, with the, you know the neo-Nazi regiment was trained by the Canadian military of all of all of all places of all you know of all countries and you know they're using we've sent so many arms to Ukraine because it's part of the whole NATO strategy uh, and uh, you know while while Ukraine is not a part of NATO this is something that uh, with the Western military apparatus the Western security apparatus really wants to prop up and as a result they will then turn the the media the press machine uh in the direction that they want in order to uh make the make this a very public and publicly supported war i think part of it as well is also the fact that everyone's been locked up for two years so everyone's yeah. uh you know ang probably angry about something they're also you know they want to direct their anger at something and it's very easy to paint russia as an aggressor but the thing is russia is the aggressor right yeah. you can't yeah. i want to make it very clear down while yeah. listening i'm not a uh I'm not, uh, you know, pro-Russia in this. Uh, in Ukraine this. didn't ask to be invaded. Uh, well, you know, some people would say they've been very aggressive towards Russia, and I think that's there's a lot in that as well. But a lot of that comes down to the national security. Uh, there's, there's a lot. There's also a lot to remember that for for all the great um, propaganda that that is being put out on behalf of the Ukraine, that all political leaders. Are as bad as each other. That's just worth noting as well. And again, we don't we're not condoning what Russia is necessarily. Well, I'm not condoning what Russia is doing, but it's important to weigh up both sides. Of oh yeah, hundred percent. But you're not going to find that in the president press. President of at Ukraine all. is no, you know, he's no fucking saint either. Though everyone everyone thinks he is now. Um, yeah, it's 
it's it's quite depressing. Just uh, I I am genuinely I was generally taken aback to a certain to a certain point by the amount of people supporting uh, full on NATO intervention. So we're talking about fly, no fly zones over yeah. Ukraine enforced by NATO military, uh, and and it's just there are people saying you know just not thinking of the consequences whatever, but demanding it of leaders. It's like, do you want to be evaporated? Like, do you want? like the luckiest members of your family tree to die of radiation poisoning and for your family tree to end with a brutal slew of birth defects. Because that's what, when you get NATO militaries, nuclear armed NATO militaries fighting in nuclear armed Russia, that is what, that is the, the logical next step. The only reason that this has remained non-nuclear is because Ukraine doesn't have nukes anymore, right? That's how this, that's how this thing works. And people just don't, they're no, 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 you know, Putin bad anything to to get rid of Putin. Putin is Hitler. And it's just very depressing to see how people can be swayed in this way. One thing I find interesting, Sam, is, um, you know, for the last 10 years, uh, yeah, yeah, last 10 years, now maybe, okay, maybe slightly less than 10 years. I mean, really, it comes to a head in 2016. But for, um, you know, just around, you know, roughly a decade, uh, there have been numerous people in the press, in government, uh, you know, in intelligence, uh, publicly saying that, that Russia is the master of internet deception, right? These guys will use Facebook ads to make you feel however they want. And yes, you and are that easy to manipulate. The presidential elections too, remember. And Brexit and Lord knows what else. And then people go down these crazy, uh, you know, paranoia holes with like, you know, what I'm seeing on, what I'm seeing is what Russia wants me to say. You know, th well, they certainly haven't done it this time, right? Who... Is this what really is this really what Russia wanted? Everyone uh, cheering on the ghost of Kiev, who doesn't even exist. <laughs> I mean, what, 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 what? Yes, were the Russian these Russian super hackers? Were they just not? They were they just on strike or something? Is this something we've not heard of? I kind of I kind of really want the ghost of Kiev to exist. I want to I want to I want to believe that there that there's like a Tom Cruise style maverick in the air that just just takes down every Russian fighter that he sees. Um, he's, he's got some kill sheet as, as long as the, the, the plane that he flies that I like the idea of that, but that's, but I think that's part of it, right? Is everyone gets sold a narrative in war. There's propaganda from both sides because yeah. both, well, actually there's very little, propaganda out of russia well at least anything yeah, that, we, we, that we can see. but anyway we at least don't see it because twitter has no doubt locked down pretty much anything that comes from russia um the the global powers that be are crashing russia's economy by force i can't help like don't get me wrong there's plenty of people in the ukraine that are going through a whole heap of shit and a lot of people are dying that shouldn't be dying there's also a whole lot of people in russia that didn't ask for war, didn't call, call for war, and are literally seeing their livelihoods um, evaporate in front of their eyes. There's a bank run. The central bank has been crushed. They've been cut off from global payment systems. Uh, they're going, they are absolutely going to witness hyperinflation kick into their economy in full strength. Um, the stock market's closed. If, if you're an innocent Russian in Russia, you have just been literally cut off from the world and are just seeing any future that you might've had evaporate in front of your eyes. That is collateral. And that collateral damage is going to reverberate not just through Russia, but through the world for generations to come. Big time. Uh, and add to add to, you know, rub salt in the wound. You'll have everyone on Western Twitter cheering on the fact that your savings have been destroyed and yeah. the fact that you can't get a job and the fact that, you know, people are probably going to end up, well, I mean, we don't know what the consequences are. Ultimately, you know, Russia does have very, very good agriculture. So starving, maybe not, hopefully not. Uh, but, you know, uh, the fact that, you know, this vitriol, you know, people can be really so easily stoked up to just hate Russians. Uh, it's quite remarkable. I'll give, give you a perfect example of this. I just saw something on Twitter where a bunch of bottle shops in Australia have stopped, have taken from the shelves that Beluga Russian vodka because oh, they sake, are refusing to to stock Russian goods. 
the 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 level of virtue signaling around this is ridiculous because in reality i mean if if these if there are some state if there are state controlled things okay okay you can un, the economic economic sanctions are as as big a piece of weaponry that any government has on you know compared to nukes all that eviscerating an economy is just as deadly as eviscerating a fucking nuke over a capital city it's not as it's not as in your face it's not as physical but the outcomes are just as bad people die because of financial repression and it's just not seen in in the immediate effects of it i don't think that europe and what us countries would be give a shit about the ramifications of what they're putting in place now they can put economic sanctions in place without crashing the economy but they don't care they are literally willingly destroying the financial livelihoods of innocent russians and they do not give a fuck and that's there's there's some like if there's a if there's an economic collapse in russia which looks like there is probably going to be bank runs banks collapse that kind of that's going to reverberate through the through the EU and globally as well. There's I think there's there's more economic issues to come out of this and these sanctions than people probably realize. Then even probably governments and the central banks probably realize. You're going to antagonize everyone in Russia as well uh, for a very long period of time. I feel I feel Sam that uh, you know the, the I think it's another aspect of the propaganda that we get here in the West is that is the damage that these economic sanctions do so i i beg to differ with you a little bit on uh, how effective economic sanctions are because russia is very used to it russia certainly expected that this was going to occur maybe not to the degree it has but you know russia has been under sanctions ever since crimea of one sort or another and and even maybe going before that and they definitely will have calculated that into their their actions here i i think i think the sanctions are what you do when you don't have military force that you could use to pressure them. Uh, and I think that's why we're seeing the West use these sanctions, because they don't have a conventional military response that would be able, uh, you know, with a short of nuclear war, that would be able to uh, to win this sudden, this sudden invasion in Ukraine. That's why they've turned to it. Um, but uh, as you say, I think uh, using these sanctions, I, I don't think it's a, as bad as nuclear weapons at all. I, though, yeah, yeah, but that's not to downplay the enormous damage that economic sanctions do uh, of this variety. Um, but, you know, it is, uh, and no, no one gives a shit about it. And I think the reason why, I, the, the thing that really worries me is just seeing how willing people are to just go out there and it's just another form of virtue signaling, just saying how much they hate uh, Putin is just cheering on these sanctions and cheering on the collapse of the ruble. And it's like, okay, your currency is collapsed by 50%. The value of all your savings collapsed by, collapsed by 50% in less than a month. I mean, that is, um, you know, it's, uh, it's, a very, it's a very, very sad state of affairs. And I don't think anyone was giving a shit about uh, what was going on in Yemen at the time. So, you know, one thing that really irked me the other day, it was just yesterday, was this enormous barrage of, barrage of articles about thermobaric weapons and this gets into you know if you're interested in defense shit uh these things are you know vacuum bombs so there are these uh very uh highly explosive conventional weapons uh which are generally guided missiles and guided bombs on the thermobaric and they use the the air uh, so they're also called aerosol bombs so it's like uh, setting a you're getting a can of deodorant and putting a lighter to it and you get a nice flamethrower out of it. It's using the air itself to, you know, to, to cause the flame. But imagine doing that uh, at a, on an enormous scale. And Russia uh, had, you know, has thermobaric weapons as uh, plenty of other countries do. And it causes effectively an enor- a huge blast wave that lasts for a long, a long period of time, burns for a lot longer than just a normal explosive. And the people who, uh, if you're in the vicinity, but you're just close, like effectively the air around you just uh, ceases to exist because it turns into fire. And the only thing that you're going to be able to inhale is effectively fire. So, you know, brutal, brutal stuff. And there's a reason why thermobaric weapons are, are thought of as, uh, really brutal things to use. They're very high tech as well, so you don't see them used that that often. But you see these, you know, the suddenly this barrage of articles, you know, the independent, etc. You know, this horrifying new weapon that these evil Russians might be using in Ukraine, right? And 
like just no mention is given to the fact that we use thermobaric weapons all the way through the war on terror british and the us used it all through war on terror we sold thermobaric weapons to the saudis who are with our with our direction used it in yemen right it caused huge civilian casualties and all of the people who are saying oh yeah russia huh, they're evil you know just using these 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 enormous bombs you know none of them gave a shit right you're just being you're being angry at what the newspaper wants you to be angry at and it uh, just it just makes me despair when you see someone one of those things where it's like there's a technicality that you happen to know about so in this case thermobaric weapons and you know the journalist deliberately i would say misses out the fact that we use thermobaric weapons and uh just everyone just get you know just get this instant surge of oh them evil russians yeah let's destroy the ruble let's push that thing to zero all of russia must pay and everyone going for reparations against russia uh it's really makes me despair but you know sam changing to a slightly milder tone uh what beer are you drinking tonight slightly milder tone um i i am i'm still i'm still my i'm still my batch of of heineken's oh my god i've I've not i've not yet restocked um but i i have to now because with your alcohol absence, uh, there is but only one way forward, and that is to to restock the fridge with. This is literally the last beer I have. Unfortunately, I also have to drive somewhere after this podcast recording tonight. <laughs> so I couldn't. I couldn't exactly neck to eight point five percent double IPAs anyway. So the way it's the way it's worked out is 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 relatively keeping me safe um, on the road enough. tonight. But uh, yeah, unfortunately, it's still just a green bottled Heineken. Just so it's slowly, still just not, um, just not the usual stuff. <laughs> That's interesting. So this is kind of like a prototype. This is the pilot episode for what it's going to be like in the future, where one of us is completely sober and the other one isn't. <laughs> Pretty much. Except it's just going to be the other way around. Uh, for so this is my last night of drinking. Uh, for this, for this, uh, for my send off here, uh, there is booze that I've got that I'm not going to be able to drink for like six weeks. Uh, this is actually a pair. It's by S43 Brewery. Uh, the one I'm drinking first is called Atlantic Nights, and the second one I've got is Pacific Days, and it's an so it's an East Coast IPA and then a West Coast IPA. Ah, uh, that that's not uh, Atlantic Nights, as in like dudes in armor on horses. That's like as in the nighttime. Yeah, I'm trying to imagine what an Atlantic night would look like. I mean, what kind of armor would they be wearing if they're at sea? I mean, uh, got to be pretty heavy. It might drown. Um, probably a wet, maybe a wetsuit. Hmm. The U.S. Navy SEALs. Yeah, no, well, like the, yeah, the, the proper SEALs, proper SEAL guys. Like well, no, no, we're British. Frogman, you know, frogman but, style outfits. Yeah, the SBS, Special Boat Service. You know, yeah, come on. Sorry. Yeah, let's get the uh, let's 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 show some patriotism for the UK. But anyway, Atlantic Night is actually very nice, very nice indeed. Six point eight percent ABV, very nice label as well. Of course, it's got the, you know the moon out, whatever, and the Pacific Days has a beautiful, almost Hawaiian kind of uh, uh, sunrise going on. Very cool pair of beers by S forty three Brewery. Our says collaboration is S forty three and Binday, which I've never heard of as a brewery. Uh, Binday Brewing Company. So yeah, uh, not too bad. I've. Uh, uh, I was just okay. saying, I've got a question for you, and I and I, I I threw this question at a mate of mine earlier today, earlier today or yesterday, I can't remember. Um, so it's I think it'd be reasonable to assume this war isn't probably going to last an excessively long time. Um, you never know, but let's say it doesn't. And at some stage, you would think that either Putin finishes the job here and somehow creates a new Soviet Union. I don't know. I'm not quite sure. Anyway. No, no. So Russian ETFs are crashing. Russian stocks are crashing. You know, Spurbank, you see the the, the London listed um, equity on that. It's like down 90% in like fucking a week. Um, everywhere Russian companies are getting just, cremated yeah big time but did but my question is 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 do they all fail or is at some point russia become an investable market again do you does do you i mean you right now you wouldn't do shit <laughs> with that had anything to do with russia you know companies like bp and uh, diversifying all their russian assets they're literally saying at the msci 
is flicking Russia out of their indexes. Um, there's going to be massive rebalance, like the FTSE 100 is rebalancing in fucking Russians, any Russian stocks are just getting booted. So everything is getting decimated at the moment. At some point though, there's going to be, there, that's going to turn. Does, does that turn? Does, does buying Russian stocks anytime in the near future become the new fucking cigarette company? Or does it become the new oil company for the, for the climate uh, enthusiasts? I think it's uh, obviously a great question, Sam. Uh, it is a very much question of the hour. I think uh, with Russia, the fact that the so the extraordinary case of these very large investors uh, ditching all of their Russian allocation due to political pressure. Yeah. So the MSCI doing that. Uh, you've got the Norwegian sovereign he- uh, wealth fund uh, dumping. Well, they're trying to dump trying three to. billion dollars. You know, so this is after the price is dumped. So that's somebody who doesn't want to sell, but has effectively so the hedge fund guy they've got running it did not want to sell, uh, has been effectively, you know, he's been leaned on to sell $3 billion. And there's not much for a trillion dollar fund, but, you know, he's been you know, pushed to sell the $3 billion worth of assets. For us who do not have this political pressure yet, I mean, they're not preventing retail investors, not delisting Russian equities yet. Uh, this does present an interesting opportunity because, of course, you can buy these things up. It's almost like you could be an oligarch again, right? You could be one of the guys buying these companies when they're on dirt sheep and they have rich cash flows. Mm. Um, it does present an interesting opportunity. Of course, you need to factor in the currency risk. So the fact that the ruble has been cremated kind of restricts you, I would say, to uh, you know commodity producers that have some pretty decent sources so they don't have to spend much money to, to explore yeah so something like gazprom i find quite interesting because of yeah. course for all of these sanctions uh, that are being levied you know people in germany still need the lights turned on so obviously they've not sanctioned they've not prevented a load of the energy transactions that take place between russia and with europe because you know obviously they're not going to do that because they they know where their bread's buttered ultimately they go to russia for energy right germany went and kicked out kicked out their uh, all of their uh, their nuclear power plants mm. uh, made themselves utterly beholden on Russia and they're, they're, and they're talking about getting excess like excess LNG from places like um, you know Australia and the US and so forth but that that can't last forever because that just becomes just far too expensive to actually land the energy on the shore and then get it to where it needs to be big time I mean, you know that's all that's all going by ship I mean yeah that, that that's effectively a bet that well, it'd be some kind of bet that this is, um, we can just put a, a quick bandage on it because we don't think the war is going to last very long and that we'll be able to do something afterwards. Uh, ultimately, just rate for even if they were, if they went really hard on those on those LNG exports, I don't, I don't, I haven't done the math, but I don't feel they'd be able to plug that gap for all of Western Europe that requires that, that energy. So I think there will, um, there will remain this, you know, this, you know, this pipeline ultimately from uh, from uh, Russia uh, over through to Western Europe, and I don't think that's going to be sanctioned. So something like Gazprom actually becomes kind of interesting in this in this respect. Obviously, yeah. poor, very poor governance. You know, it's been used by uh, uh, you know kleptocrats as effectively as their personal personal bank account. Like it's kind of like um, Petrobras in uh, over in Brazil. You know, so many so many cases of Gazprom being involved and in, uh, people just nicking money from it. But when you consider that the fact that they're selling this stuff for dollars or for euro, not for ruble, it makes it a very interesting proposition because, of course, it's you know, really, really dirt cheap. And they've got these really, really rich cash flows that are going to continue for a long period of time. And I think that's quite interesting. One thing we, you know, when you, um, the premise of uh, your, uh, your question, when you're talking about how long the war lasts, I think that's a, it's a really hard question. Yeah. Uh, I don't, I'm not, I can't be as dismissive as this can't last too long because insurgencies, um, you know, maybe Russia does manage to get what they want, uh, but it's not, you know, it's not going to be all of Ukraine. That's not what they're after anyway, I don't think. Uh, but when it comes to insurgencies, I mean, these can be quite protracted. And depending on how the insurgencies fought, they're not that expensive. They don't need to be that expensive either. So it could be guerrilla v guerrilla kind of thing. And yeah, I think it could last a very long time, and it, it could become, you know, one of the uh, one of the big topics that we talk about for years. It's it seems like their end game is to 
put in place a puppet government that Russia pulls the strings for. Uh, and maybe and, I mean they've got these. Basically, it's basically again it becomes I th- I think an an energy play right an energy and resources play again. Um, I'm not sure about I'm not sure so sure about the puppet government. I think ultimately they want the concession that NATO they well they want the the republics recognized these new ones that they've yeah. they've recognized yeah. these regions they've recognized as republics, which will be of course very very pro Russia and they always will be. They always have been though. Exactly, uh, which makes it, but everyone, not that everybody who is observing this in the Twitter sphere would recognize that, but you know, um, I think what the real concession is NATO cannot, uh, is Ukraine cannot join NATO. I think that's something that Russia really, really wants. And uh, I can completely understand why Russia wants that. The methods that they've gone by, you know, that they've gone to do it. Maybe it's because there was no other option. Uh, but that's me mostly playing devil's advocate there. Of course, the, the methods, nobody wants war. Uh, but I think ultimately the big thing they want is less so much a, a puppet. Of course, though, a puppet's always nice if you're if you're the you're the one pulling the strings. I think the main thing is they need a concrete concession from Ukraine that they don't join NATO. But I'm not a I'm not a geopol uh wizard, so I couldn't no. uh, I couldn't say, but uh, I think that's what they're they'd really be after. And it feels like I don't know. It kind of feels like that's a long way away. A lot, a lot of people were thinking that it, there was this very popular meme that just got put out there. It's like with the ghost of Kiev stuff. Like it's just stuff that gets pulled out of everyone's ass that Ukraine was doing this uh, incredible job in defeating the Russians, and everyone's just believing believing all these Ukrainian casualties that the Ukrainian government reports. And it's like, can you really believe that? Like, are you just going to believe what your guys say are the casualties? Um, and Russia, of course, has said very little. So knowing really what is going on, uh, I'm not sure. There was a very interesting article recently on there's not been any Russian air support. There's been very, very little Russian air support. So the yeah. Russians have hundreds of jets uh, mm. very, and very close by, but they've decided not to use them for a while, which uh, which is interesting. Uh, I, and it's a matter of speculation as to why that is. Ultimately, I, mean, I don't think Russia like has... If you, you wouldn't... If you're if you if you're a strategist and you're going to war, you don't kind of you don't necessarily play your you know your ace first. You kind of if you don't need to, if you can win with pairs, win with pairs. It's one way of looking at it. Other people want the uh, shock and awe blitzkrieg idea where you just move in really 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 fast and you just take you know you, you checkmate the king, and then as soon as you checkmate the king, it doesn't matter the fact that everyone else is exposed because you've managed to checkmate the king. That's all that matters. Um, you go, we can go really down into the weeds with you know, deep strike theory and things like that. But uh, ultimately, um, I, I feel that uh, Russia has tried, they didn't call it a war, right? They call it a special military operation. There are reports which you find hard to believe about whether or not uh, Russian soldiers thought they were actually going to war and whether or not it was, they, they were told it was a training exercise or something. There's all this weird stuff there that I'm not sure if I if we can believe it and whether or not it's propaganda I, I or not. Think, I would think when they dropped that missile on um, that fucking building yesterday or whatever, that was a pretty fair indication. And, and um, that's that a pretty fair, fair indication. Not the day of the invasion. The, that there's a they're at war <laughs> yeah yeah i mean by then but it, we're talking like day one of the invasion ah, yeah yeah things like that well um, so look early on the first couple of days it wasn't all that different to and arguably i mean it's it's a little different this time but it's not it's not that far removed from what was happening in 2014 um i i think the russian objectives were different in 2014 yeah so uh you know they were trying to they're trying to secure their the naval port and in doing so it's like oh well we may as well take Crimea as well. This case it's more about we need to send a message and we need to uh, we need to they have multiple objectives here because it's not just we need to take all of Ukraine because that's not what's going on. Um, I feel with the strategy they've taken a lot of people because we're only receiving the Ukrainian side and Russia has been very interestingly silent about all of this stuff about what's going on on their side. A lot of people think that's because they've taken crazy casualties. Maybe it's true. Maybe it's not. I don't know. But we've only heard the Ukrainian side. And so when the Ukrainians have gotten smashed, they've just, they won't have reported that, right? We won't have received that at all unless there's been really bad civilian casualties. So they can, they can then send photos to get uh, more, more support from uh, the West. So I feel, I feel like the war hasn't really started actually yet. And, I th- and I'm afraid, 
I think that is what's going to happen. And we are going to get a brutal, you know, well, I mean, it, yeah. it, it will be another Iraq, you know, house to house, street by street, Quite possibly. Um, prolonged engagement. And except this time around, they're not uh, dudes who, uh, you know, have just joined the cause because, uh, you know, they, they very strong religious yeah, beliefs and not really how much well, well-trained military personnel or better trained better trained and better equipped uh, so you know these guys are being equipped by us we are very good at making anti-tank missiles and, and rifles and things like that so i think this could be end up being a really really brutal war and i think it's not really started yet everyone wants to think that oh the ukrainians have inflicted these enormous casualties uh, and hopefully i'm wrong and you know there's peace tomorrow and you know there's negotiations mm-hmm. going on now so hopefully uh, hopefully that works out but i i do fear that the stage could be set for something really um you know, enormous kind of Yeah, it seems that some of the more astute geopolitical experts and Russian experts uh, that are out there do tend to all start to be leaning towards the fact that this is going to get worse for Ukraine before it gets better. Um, yeah. That- and if you imagine how crazy people are supporting calling for military intervention from the UK, from the US now, imagine how bad it's going to be if there does end up being you know, scores of uh, of dead Ukrainians on the streets. Yeah, and- look, the, the interesting thing, do you remember when North Korea, I think it was 2016, North Korea was like imminently going to fucking send missiles over to South Korea. Yeah, yeah. And the US set up all those anti, anti-missile, um, all those SAM sites around South Korea to provide support in the event that they did so they could be taken down. Yeah. What, I mean, I know it's a different, different place, different world, different regimes, but why wouldn't they do that now? Uh, well, uh, ultimately quite a different adversary. Uh, so North Korea has only got one nuke and they're, you know, they're ultimately very, you know, it's a very poor country. I mean, Russia is not the wealthiest country in the world, but they're nowhere near as I poor as, uh, as larger borders to, to protect as well. But yeah, yeah. Uh, much bigger military um, much bigger geopolitical sway because they've got the energy taps as well. Uh, and not to mention all the other crazy commodities. I mean, talking about palladium prices and, and stuff like that. Um, the world's really going to discover how much they actually need Russia for an awful lot of things. Um, yeah, I think ultimately Russia's a much, much bigger adversary than something like North Korea. So the US felt that they could get away with that, and they did, ultimately. Mm. Uh, it was a it was a shrewd play, though no one will ever credit the Trump administration for anything like that. <laughs> wow. Um, that, that, I've got another question about that in a second. <laughs> I'll go for it. Well, I've, I've wondered, does, I mean, and it, it's hypotheticals, so, you know, you never know. But do you think this, do you think this happens if Trump's serving his second term at the moment? Oh, how do you mean? Like you get, I get a feeling that it it's almost so with with what with the way that a Biden pulled troops out of Af- Afghanistan and the way that that all played out and the fact that he's basically a, a corpse at the steering wheel um, and that he talked all this tough talk before getting to power about Vlad's going to be my worst enemy, but in reality that had Trump been at the helm with the football. Um, that, that that Putin probably doesn't pull this shit because Trump because he kind of there's like a mutually accepted level of of craziness there. He's like, I know this guy's just as probably mental as me. So if I go and do some shit, I probably shouldn't be doing. He's actually probably going to do some pretty bad shit back to me, as opposed to this guy who's just going to be like, mm, nah. So I'm going to go and see what I can get away with. It's a good question, Sam. Um... Yeah, where, where do we start with that? I think with the tr- the Trump Putin relationship, I think is is very very interesting. Of course, everyone, you know, there's the, once again on on Twitter where where this war is really being waged. You know, that's where the the true that's Ukrainian the real war is happening, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, uh, that's definitely you know you, if you if you like enough posts, you retweet enough posts, you know, Ukraine's going to win. You just need to keep doing that. You know, on the you see now people who were thinking that the only reason Brexit and Trump were elected is because of Russia now saying, you know, taking this as evidence of that. And it, you know, it, I shacks my heed as, uh, as we say, I think the, the Trump uh, Putin relationship, I find quite fascinating. Uh, ultimately, I think with, 
I see. Trump, Trump Putin, prior, during the election, of course, you know, uh, Trump's like, no, I don't hate Putin. You know, I want to I want to work with Putin to defeat ISIS. And this is you know, a very big vote winner because people are like, yeah, I don't actually hate Russians that much. I really, you know, want to get rid of ISIS. You know, this is, is going to be good. Uh, and then when he's in power, he's obviously very soft on Russia. Uh, when it comes to, uh, you know, when, when it comes to responding to the, uh, the State Department wanting to put the screws on Russia. So here we are, you know, uh, America elects a guy who's okay with, with Russia. Putin doesn't make any crazy moves. And now, uh, you know, I think there was concerted establishment, establishment effort to get rid of Trump, you know, probably completely legitimate in terms of the, the methods that they used. But, you know, ultimately, the establishment did not want Trump as president. They got rid of him. Uh, you know, there wasn't them. It was the electorate. But, you know, all nobody in power in the establishment wanted to work with Trump. Well, very few of them did. Uh, so they get rid of him. And uh, they elect a guy who uh, starts really uh, going hard on Russia all over again. And making, you know, the guy whose, whose son, Hunter, uh, had been elected to the board of a Ukrainian gas company, despite having no... Uh, yes. You know, despite having no experience in it. You know, I think it's a very great example of how corrupt Ukraine was and is that that even occurred and something yes. nobody wants to admit. Right? Ukraine was a very, very corrupt country. It is a very, very corrupt country. And that's the one who you are supporting at the minute. Uh, and, uh, you know, what if you were Putin, how would you react to that? Okay, so uh, America likes a guy who's actually wants to be kind of easy on me and my objectives. Uh, and then they get rid of the guy and they replace it with the guy who is actually really wanting to, uh, to, to stir things up with me. Yeah, what, how, how are you going to react? I mean, you're not going to act the same way. You're probably going to start thinking, hmm, once this guy screws up, I'm going to take, take advantage of it. And the withdrawal from Afghanistan, I don't know how different that would have been if had Trump been in charge. Ultimately, you don't really know. I don't feel anyway. Um, but yeah, I, I think things definitely would have been different, but it would have depended on all of these factors that you can't, I don't think the president ultimately has control over. So yeah. I think the only way this could have gone differently would have been if Russia hadn't felt so pressured by NATO as it does. And I don't know how much of, a, uh, of an effect Trump had on that. He must have had enough of a, you know, something of an effect on that. But um, yeah, I don't know enough about what that how that mechanism is expressed. Trump was pulling plenty of uh, military for plenty of troops out of places uh, like, you know, South Korea, Germany and that. But then that was that happened anyway uh, with Biden as well. So uh, I think I think it definitely would have prolonged like Ukraine wouldn't have been invaded uh, for a while longer. But it could have been, you know, maybe after that, maybe at the, the, the end part of Trump's term. Who knows? I don't know. I am. Um... You know, you mentioned something in there as well about um, corruption, and weirdly, so I, so for people that don't know, there's there is actually a corruption perceptions index, um, which is put together by Transparency International. Now, again, it, I don't I don't know exactly how. I mean, it, it is a reasonably, I'd say it's hard to corruption is perception is is hard to to be accurate with because corruption in itself is. Um, obfuscated from from the sort of public view, but there is there is a method to how they go about figuring it out, and they rank countries every year on the corruption perceptions index. So you can go and have a right. look on Transparency International. Anyway, the 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 point of it is is if you get a high score, so a hundred is low corruption, um, zero it's a scale of you know not to hundred, zero is very corrupt. So as you uh -huh. would expect, when you go down the corruption perception index, South Sudan is last. Out of 180 countries, South Sudan is last. They score 11 out of uh, out of 100. Okay, Kate. Okay. Before you before you tease us with the big reveal, who's 100? Who's the least corrupt out there? The least corrupt. It's a tie in 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 three places. They each score 88. Denmark, Finland, and this may need some adjustment, but New Zealand are the top three. <laughs> may need some adjustment so they they all rank 85 for, for what it's worth the uk comes in at number 11 um so again you, countries you'd expect norway singapore sweden switzerland netherlands germany united kingdom they're all up there in sort of the top 10 15 spaces australia is in an eight uh, tied for 18 anyway as i say south sudan 
comes in last, 180. Syria, Somalia, Venezuela, Yemen. Russia doesn't do great on the rankings. How are we looking? They, they come in at 136, tied with right. Mali and Liberia. Oh, wow. But just so people who weren't sure about it, the Ukraine is not exactly high on this list. Ukraine is tied at 122nd with Eswatini. They rank less, they rank more corrupt than Zambia, Egypt, Sierra Leone, Mongolia, um, Cote d'Ivory. You know, there's a lot of shit that happens in in Ukraine that, you know, they're ranked lower than Morocco, fucking Suriname, Ethiopia. The list is is long of the countries that are higher than it. So it's, it's worth consideration that neither of these countries are exactly your 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 typical angels when it comes to you know good practices yeah it's uh it's one of those things that you know just doesn't make it to to the press uh over here no one wants to think that the the regime that we are uh propping up with lots and lots of arms is uh you know could be could be perceived to be as corrupt uh but no yeah that won't, that won't get mentioned. Funnily enough, the uh, the speech that Putin made prior to the invasion or announcing the invasion, it's like an hour long. Uh, like the corruption in Ukraine is a big part of that, that he's, you know, he's uh, making quite clear, you know, Russia has supported Ukraine enormously following its independence and they've not paid us back. And instead they've become very, very corrupt and it's become so bad that, uh, you know, we feel the need to intervene, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, but, you know, over here, uh, despite... You know, the, those obviously aren't the parts of the speech that make it over here. Uh, and, uh, you know, people are going to, uh, people will think that this is uh, apologism for Russia, obviously, because the country's corrupt. Uh, it's not, a, you know, that's not a reason to invade them, but it does reveal an awful lot of weakness about a country. And if a country is very, very corrupt, then, uh, you know, it's not strong, it's not secure. And, you know, it could be, uh, could be seen as rich picking. So when you've got the vice president's son back in, uh, you know, back in the pre-2016 years being made uh, a member of the board on a very important Ukrainian gas company based on effectively nothing, being paid, I think, fifty to $60,000 a month uh, in order to effectively uh, provide access to his dad, the vice president, this does not look very good, especially if you are the aggressor country like, like Russia. Uh, yeah, it's just a very sad state of affairs. Obviously, the average Ukrainian's not complicit in that, um, uh, but the West is, and we're, you know, we're complicit in this. We were definitely a big part of that. Yeah, it's not great. It's not a good situation. There's, um, you know, we've we've not even really scratched into the subject of how it's how it's hit uh, impacting the crypto markets, but <laughs> um, stack sats. I think that's pretty much the short and curlies of it. Mm, it is an interesting, an interesting one for Bitcoin because Bitcoin's had a very big time, a very good time uh, during this period. A while ago, uh, you know, in this podcast, I've definitely said uh, Bitcoin is not trading the way that it's described to be when it's an uncorrelated asset that's an inflation hedge. I feel that may be changing at the minute. Mm. Actually, uh, I, I think, think I think the key thing with Bitcoin is that it doesn't, and I've uh, this is something that I've sort of figured out. I think over a, quite a long period of time that it doesn't like physical conflict. It, it tends to be a, a real risk-off asset in that sense. But when there's real genuine financial conflict, which is a serious part of this war at the moment and is really kicking off now, that's when it starts to do really well. And I think that's what's just starting to light the fire underneath it right now. Well, it's certainly very interesting to see how it, how it goes. I feel like the fact that the NASDAQ is still getting having a very bad time, all, the, all these uh, internet stocks not having a good time, while Bitcoin is having a good time, I think this may be the beginning of Bitcoin beginning to trade like a really hard asset, which is uh, you know the way the way it's originally described. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Sam, how are we doing for time? Because I do feel like uh, we have been going on for a while. And as I'm, I generally count it in beers, and because you're only drinking one, you know, our, our internal clock is is is, is quite good, and, and uh, that that does pretty much bring us to the end of tonight's episode. We've. Alrighty. And miss and there's like so much we haven't even talked about. And no doubt next time we do this and you'll be sober and I will not be hammered as sober. 
So, you know, we'll, 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 I'll, I'll, we'll make sure somebody has an article to talk about some woman's <laughs> very large eyebrows. Uh, Got to get them head, hedgerows trimmed, huh? Um, before, uh, before I head away, shall rate the Atlantic night and the Pacific days. Very nice pair of beers, folks. Uh, in terms of they've got the, they've managed to get to a really good sweet spot where the label's really nice. It makes a really nice pair. And it's a very good drink as well. So this is S43 Brewery with collaboration with Binday Brewing. 6.8% ABV for the East Coast IPA and 6.5% for the West Coast IPA. I would rate them both a double B. A very good pair. Very good pair indeed. But yeah, I mean, that's it until, um, yeah, I'll probably have an, a couple other beers tonight just because it's going to be my last night of drinking. Uh, but yeah, that'll be it for Lent. We shall, of course, carry on with Triple B. So you'll have to rely on Sam for being the drunk member of uh, of Triple B for the next six weeks. Uh, and hopefully I won't have, um, you know, entered some kind of mental breakdown because I haven't had a beer. Uh, as I say, it's been probably, um, yeah, last time I, I hadn't drank beer for six weeks. Uh, you're looking like preteen, preteenage. So this is, yeah, this is uh, this is going to be uh, a journey of discovery. But that's all for the moment, folks. Hope you're uh, having a good week. Uh, sorry that this was a late episode, as ever. Hopefully, you're all uh, uh, you're not getting bombed in Ukraine. If you are, uh, you know, I hope you hope, hope you're, you're keeping keeping well and uh, managing to stay out of stay out of trouble. But that's all from us for the moment. We'll see you in the next one. Bye bye.